Joshua chapter 10. Last week we saw the uh, the, co- the covenant that they made with the Gibeonites and how they, well, shouldn't have done that <laughs> and thought better of it afterwards. But we saw the things that the enemy tries to do to deceive us and to get us to, to make wrong decisions. And one of the big truths we uh, reminded you of, we've gone over it before, but reminded you of last week, the quicker the response becomes necessary, the more likely you are to respond from your flesh. When we respond from our flesh, flesh, it doesn't matter what we decide, we missed it. (laughs) It does not make any difference what you decide. If you respond from your flesh, you missed it. Even if you made the right decision, it doesn't matter. You missed it. It's the same thing with works. Because the Word of God tells us that only works that go over to the other side are the works that are of the Spirit. Those things that are of the flesh burn up. They're gone. So things that are of the flesh, no lasting value. Things that are of the Spirit. Even if you make the right decision, but do it in the flesh, you still missed it. Still missed it. You've got to make it according to the Spirit. God wants us to learn how to make these things according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. But uh, that's not our topic tonight. We saw that Joshua decided to keep his word with the Gibeonites, and even though he didn't want to, I'm sure, and had every reason and could find all kinds of loopholes and reasons why he shouldn't be in there. Psalm 15, verse 3. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That takes a strong person. Very strong person. Well, five kings of the Amorites decide to rise up and come against the Gibeonites. Now this, that makes absolutely no sense at all. You have an intruder and you uh, no one's really has stopped them so far and Hasn't really been a huge test against them, but no one has stopped them so far. So you decide to fight amongst yourselves. I mean, why not? Of course, this is what the church does. We're all should be armored against Satan, the uh, the enemy. And too often we're battling each other with doctrinal issues and we're battling each other because we don't believe in that and we don't believe in that. It's just crazy. We should unite against the common enemy. But uh, same thing is going on here. The five kings decide they're going to gang up on the Gibeonites and they're going to wipe them out because after that battle they feel they'll be stronger to take on the Israelites. <laughs> I guess. I don't know what the, the deal is there. But they just didn't want them getting off scot-free. So they're going to come on over there and kill them themselves. Verse 1, Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and its king, So he had done to Ai and his king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, 
and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. Now here's a question for you. How concerned is God with us remembering the names of unrighteous people? Why would God care if we remember the names of unrighteous people? And yet we are given them. We're not just giving them once, we're giving them a couple of times. If God is going to mention the names and have it recorded in, in His book of unrighteous kings, of an unrighteous land, of whom He wants wiped out completely, there must be a reason. Now let me ask you a question. Who is the king of Jericho? You don't know? Abraham? <laughs> who is the king of Ai? But we get over here to chapter 10 and we know all five kings by name. (laughs) Would that not strike you as that the name is important? The name has at least some significance as to what's going on here. We not only know the name of the king, we also know where they are from. First king, Adonai Zedek, Lord of justice or righteousness is what his name means. Adonai, you are familiar with that word being Lord. Zedek means righteousness. Now, a very similar name to this. I used to, I I filled it out for you so you wouldn't have to try and spell it. (laughs) But Satan's counterfeit version here, Adonai Adonai Zedek, is the counterfeit of Melchizedek. The first part of Melchizedek's name means king. The second part means righteousness we have first off now remember where where does Melchizedek come from Salem which is Jerusalem so we had in Abraham's day Melchizedek who is the king of righteousness and now we have Satan's copy as being the Lord of righteousness over the same city (laughs) <laughs> Adonai, Lord, Zedek, righteousness. The first way the devil comes at you, and this is five, we're going to look at five ways that the devil comes at you. Five ways the enemies come at us. Israel has five kings coming up against them. We're going to see five different ways in which the enemy comes at us. First off, the first way the devil comes at you is as an angel of light, a Lord of righteousness. He will come in a, in a manner that looks like this is God. Now, how does that play out? You look at a lot of people who go around, a lot of Christians who don't know better. How many Christians do you know that feel sickness and disease is from God? Well, God sent this to teach me something. Well, God gave me this to keep me humble. Well, God gave me this pain, gave me this sickness to do this and to do that. What has happened? Satan has come in as an angel of light and passed off something as light that is darkness. And they bought it. And they accepted it. Jesus Christ came into this world for the purpose of healing the sick, setting the oppressed free. When they brought sick people to Jesus, they brought thousands of people to Jesus. He went through and healed how many? All of them. Jesus said, this is the purpose of Messiah. We saw Messiah has two purposes. The first half was to come as the lamb. The second half to come as the king warrior. Jesus, in the first time he came, was the lamb. And Jesus read off what the purpose was of that Messiah that would come, which was to be a deliverer, to be one who set us free, to redeem us from the curse of the law, 
And he came for that. But the angel light wants to come along and tell people, no. Another thing that the angel of light wants to come and do is he wants to tell people that if you get to be good enough, you can get into heaven. And so people, how many people do you know that say, well, I never did anything really bad. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't robbed the bank. And we just, you know, go on the, the list of things that we haven't done. You know, I didn't cheat on my taxes. <laughs> you know, Jesus is important, impressed about people who, aren't, who pay their taxes. We saw that from his ministry. He made sure he and Peter paid their taxes, right? Did you see that report that over in Washington, the, the staff at the, uh, at the White House, that uh, most of them have not paid taxes? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Hasn't been so far. <laughs> Haven't been so far. But, uh, but you know, that's, uh, that's all important. It's important that we take certain candidates like, um, oh, who's the, the guy, um, Mitt Romney? You know, we find out how, I heard that I think last year, I think I heard one of the figures, I think it was that he paid $3 million in taxes. I think that's what I, I had heard. Of it. He, he, in fact, I saw some of these stats on it. He paid about 15, 16% in taxes, which is what you pay for investment. And he gave away 15% of his income to charities. Now, that's really none of our business what he does with it or not. It's up to him what he, what he wants to do. But the people that are picking on him, <laughs> gave even less. There was one uh, one candidate ran for president. Oh, I forgot. I think it was Kerry. $361 he gave to charity. $361. President Obama, 1%. But these are the people who want to tell you how much generous you ought to be with your money, how much you ought to give to... They don't have to, they don't have to give any percentage of their income. If they don't want to tithe, then they don't tithe. They also don't get the benefit of not tithing. They don't get the benefit of, of having tithe. If that's their choice, that's fine. It's none of my business and I don't want to poke my nose into it. No, but you know, these, these people who want to point fingers at others are going to have the fingers pointed back at them. Of course, they don't want it that way. But angel of light, he wants to come on in. He wants to first off take no sickness and diseases from God. It is not. He wants you to come in and he, he wants you, your righteousness. You got to be good enough. You've got to do certain things and be good enough. No, you don't. You need to go to church. No, that's not it. Well, you've got to take the sacraments. If you don't go into church and get communion, boy, how long, ago, how long was that dominant in people's thoughts? If you don't show up at church and get the elements, you're not saved. Back in the Middle Ages, whole countries were held in fear of that. And the church would capture its king and they would threaten the king, if you do not do as we want you to do in the church, then we will excommunicate you and you, your people cannot get communion. Mm-hmm. And the people revolted and they were going to be ready to kill the king because they wouldn't be able to get communion. And so the king would do what the church wanted to do. And that's during the dark ages, you know, when the church ruled the land. And that was not the way God had wanted it to be. But we've talked about that in times past as well. He comes as an angel of light. He wants you to believe that something that he's selling you is light, and it is not. We have hope that a lot of the big thing that's going on today with the social agenda that, that comes on is people want us to think that the way, the Christian way, is that we give all of our money to the poor. And we do all that we can to take care of the poor. Is that Jesus' way? 
No. Word of God says if you don't work, you don't. <laughs> but yet we're going around trying to help people to not work. I'm not talking about retirement funds. I'm not talking about people living on Social Security and stuff like that. They worked all their life. and not talking about that at all. I'm talking about people who could be out there working a job and instead they're at home doing something else. There was a report that went out uh, this week or last week, I forget which one it was, that said that people, a family of three, three children, a family of three, whether it be a single family or a married family, making $16,000 a year. $16,000 a year. A family of three has more discretionary income than a traditional family with three kids making sixty thousand dollars a year isn't that interesting <laughs> you know why because of all the help that they get and all the things that they're given to not work sixty thousand dollars a year they're out there you got maybe sometimes they got both families working or the husband working or the wife's working something like that sixty thousand dollars they bring three kids have less discretionary income than a person making sixteen thousand dollars what are we rewarded is that god's way but see, we've accepted something different as being compassionate. Again, the angel of light has come in. We've accepted it as true and we have veered off of God's plan. The way the enemy wants to come at us is to get us to buy into something that is not of God, being of God, and therefore we don't defend against it. We accept it and we bring it right in. We have to be on guard against that. The Word of God wants us to help you empower people when they're working, when they're bringing home money. You empower people to do that. They, they feel good about themselves. I mean, how many people feel bad about themselves because they, they don't have a job? They're not bringing in income. They're not, they're not supporting their family. And they feel poorly about that. God doesn't want them to feel poorly. He wants to help them find a job and do things. An angel of light. An angel of light is one who presents darkness as being light. And they believe that darkness is light. Now, you've talked to people like this who are sold on the fact that darkness is light. You have talked with people who believe that evolution is the way that the world was created. And you try and talk to them about, that doesn't even make any sense. Don't even try and bring in anything else. Just how does that even make any sense? No, that's what it is. Because <laughs> darkness has become light. Now, once you make darkness to become light, then everything else that you compare, if as soon as light comes in and you compare light to what you already have accepted, it doesn't match up and you are on board for accepting more darkness as light. Number, the, the first way in this example we're having here in the Scriptures, the King of Jerusalem, who really seems to be the, the group leader, is a Lord of Righteousness, an angel of light. We said uh, too many times, it's because they worship Jesus. Doesn't mean it's our Jesus. Doesn't mean it's our God. Just because we have the name Adonai Zedek doesn't mean he is a Melchizedek. Doesn't mean he's of the same type. Go on to the king of Hebron. His name was Hoham. I don't know what it would be like for someone growing up with a name like Hoham. But... You know, maybe it's more common back then, and you know, it sounds odd to us, but Hoham. I can just see the kids making fun of that one. <laughs> this one is, is the, voice of a the voice of the multitude. His name means the voice of the multitude. Satan will try to persuade by popular opinion. 
How often are we trying, or is the, is the people in this country trying to convince us of certain things by popular opinion? You can hearten, I know most of you don't listen to the news, thank God. But when you did listen to the news, or even if some news leaks out and gets a hold of you, how many times have we heard the polls say, what they do is they create a poll, they, they, they uh, select what group they want to ask the question, and then they ask a question in such a way that they get the kind of answers that they want, and then they come out and they have a story. And it wasn't a story before, but it's a story now. And they go on out there and they begin to ask this question, and, uh, oh, you know, polls say, well, really, who cares what polls say? Because first off, I don't know who you asked, and I don't even know if you're representing the, who you asked and what they said right. But how, I, if, if, uh, if I wanted to, and I asked you to, maybe some of you would, but if I said, you know, go on home and listen to one of the news things, and how much news would they have if they didn't have any polls? Because they're basing a whole lot of things on polls. If they want a news story, they requisition a poll that they can begin to go on out there and, and, and check this out. Well, the poll people are saying, people, no, we don't, it does not matter what people say. How many people were of the opinion that Moses should be overthrown? The whole group, the whole lot of them. Moses comes out the tent and it's him and Aaron against everybody. <laughs> Polls say, <laughs> we don't even need a poll. We can just look out the window. <laughs> were they right? Oh, no, they were wrong. Well, we have it in Samuel's day. The polls say we want a king. What's God say? Uh-uh. That's a bad thing to do. Adam and Eve in the garden. The polls say... Well, we took a poll here and three people said that we should eat of the tree. So the polls say we should eat of the tree. What's God say? Uh-uh. No, nope, that, that shouldn't happen. I'm sure Cain was even taking a poll. You know who he took a poll of? Himself. 100% of the people say my brother should die. <laughs> you can get public opinion to say anything. I heard somebody say this uh, a number of weeks ago. I hadn't really thought of it in this way, but oh man, this is right. When they said, I said, oh, that is good. That is so correct. Our justice system in this country went off when we stopped comparing decisions to the Constitution and compared it to previous decisions of the law. Precedent is the word they put on it. And so one of the things that people will do now when they go into a court is they first off look at what the Constitution says and then look at case law. What has been decided by a, who cares? If you missed it before, get it right this time. That's all there. Just get it right. No, if we missed it before, now we have an excuse to miss it by more. This time, because while well, we decided it to be this way, we decided this to be true. Well, obviously that was wrong. That wasn't right. But you know the we set a precedent, and now we're we're not taking case we're not taking cases and comparing them to the Constitution, what the Constitution says we should or shouldn't do, what the Constitution says we can or cannot do. What we're doing is we're going to case law. Well, before it was decided this way. Well, that judge was obviously off. That, that judge was not right. The voice of the multitude. We want to get this voice of the multitude that's out there and, and compare it to... No, no, we don't. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. You know, they got those folks that are doing the Occupy. 
the, the amount of people that actually makes up that group is extremely small. But, you know, we're, they're trying to make, pass them off as being a majority, as being a, a great number of people. They call them the 99 percenters. That they're all against. Well, you know what? They aren't 99 percent. Most people laugh at them. Most people walk on by and say, get a job. Go look for a job. Do something. The voice of the multitude. Satan will try to persuade by popular opinion. We notice this in schools. How many of us grew up in school and peer pressure? Peer pressure to make decisions, decision. Peer pressure to get involved with drugs. Peer pressure to get involved with drinking. Peer pressure to get involved, whatever it might be. There's peer pressure because there's a majority of people who are saying, let's go this way. Let's get involved with this. Well, if the majority of people say that, I guess it's a good thing. No, it's not. Daniel did not give in to peer pressure. He was blessed for it. His three buddies did not give in to peer pressure. They were the only ones who were standing. Everyone else is bowing. <laughs> and, and that was okay. Elijah did not give in to peer pressure. He stood on a mountain with 400 prophets of Baal and Esther and all the rest of the people. And he stood by himself. And it's all right with that. How many times did Paul go into a city and stood by himself? But this is the way that the enemy tries to come against us, by popular opinion. No, find out what God wants you to do. Find out what the Word has commissioned you to do. And do it. Just do that. Stay with it. I gave you already Numbers 13 and 14. That's when Israel decided, by popular opinion, we decided. <laughs> by popular opinion, we don't want Moses as our leader. By popular opinion, we have decided not to go into the promised land. By popular decision, we've changed our mind and decided to go into the promised land. <laughs> God does not care about popular opinion. God could care less if everybody is on board for this one, one side. Does not care about that. But this is the way that the enemy comes against us. This is the way that the enemy attacks. We need to be aware that this is what the devil does. He comes as an angel of light. He tries to pass off human wisdom as God's wisdom. And if you accept it, then you're going, to be, you're going to fall prey to other areas. He tries to come in and gets us to give in to peer pressure because then I'm not making a stand for the gospel. The Word of God is about us making a stand on the things that are right. Regardless of what gain or loss there seems to be. When Joshua made that treaty, shouldn't have made it. But once he made it, the popular opinion was probably, let's break it. And then when these five kings wanted to come down and destroy them, the popular opinion was probably, let them. <laughs> but you don't give in to popular opinion. You do what needs to be done. And that's what we need to do here. The third area, the king of Jarmuth. His name is Piram, which means like a wild ass. It stands for instability. How would you like to have a name like that, huh? Can you imagine a mom and dad coming together and naming their child like a wild ass so he would grow up and be king over Jarmuth? And so when they would come into this battle, God could say, all right, there's one of our ways. Stands for instability. Could you imagine naming a child instability? Why would you want to do that? <laughs> Just, it makes no, no sense, but they did. When you take your eyes off the word, 
Word of God and focus on other things like human reasoning. You become unstable because human reasoning will fluctuate. Remember going through school and they had situational ethics? Oh, I hated those things. Situational ethics. As if the Word of God should change based on what situation you're in. You know what? There's some situations where it's really tough and it's really hard. And we get into those situations, you know, what do you do with a family, four kids, the dad became unemployed, the mom can't find a job either, they have no food for their children, and so the dad goes out and he steals some food for the kids. Is he wrong? (coughs) Well, you know, he had to feed his kids. and, and No, you should be out there trusting God. You should be out there, Father God, I, I need to trust you right now. What would happen if Elijah took on that mentality? Well, I got no food. I guess I'll go steal it from somebody. <clears throat> no, God came over there and, and sent him food by the ravens. I was listening to somebody this, this week. One of the times I was in the shop, I was listening to somebody. And they, they had brought up an interesting point about Elijah being fed by the ravens. Remember the drought came on? And he was called over to go by a certain tree and a certain brook. And he was sitting under the tree and the brook was coming by and the brook was giving him water. And remember who was feeding him? The ravens were feeding him. I hadn't looked this up or found this out in the times I've looked up about this story. But he was mentioning that um, uh, King Ahab, remember that's who he's against. King Ahab had a certain God that he worshipped. And in worshipping this God, every morning he had to put out a table of food and feed the ravens. (laughs) He fed the ravens with his big spread of food. And some of the ravens were coming and taking the food off of the table and bringing it to Elijah. So in essence, when we saw that he was being fed by the ravens, Ahab was feeding the guy he was trying to kill. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Ain't that something? But what if Elijah would have done with situational ethics? Well, I've been very zealous for the Lord. I've been doing his will. No one else is doing his will. So I think it's okay if I go out and steal from these people who are stealing from God, who are unrighteous anyway. Situational ethics would have said, well, I guess that's okay. What's God say? Mm -mm. No, sir. Stealing is just a reason to not trust God. When you take your eyes off the word of God and focus on other things like human reasoning, you become unstable. They do what they want. They do not submit to a master's will. They do what they want. They are unstable. Whatever I want to do today, maybe today I, I want to go to work. Maybe tomorrow I don't want to go to work. Have you ever noticed worked around in, or in an office or a place and certain people always call in at the most inopportune times. They just call in, well, I can't make it in today. Well, I can't go. Unstable. You can't count on them. But you'll notice this is, this is the trait that follows people. How many have ever worked with somebody and you, I can count on this one. This one's going to be here. If they say they're going to be here, they're going to be here. If this one says they're going to get this done, they're going to get that done. And then there's other ones that you know. Well, they said they're going to be here, but you know what that means. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Well, they said they were going to get that done, but you know what that means. We better go behind them and check it and make sure that it got done. Because they're unstable. It's a trait that they have picked up. It's an enemy. The enemy has come in and has attacked and has made them unstable because they've taken their eyes off of the Word 
and they're focusing on other things and they become unstable. Make sure that you focus on the Word of God. What does the Word of God tell you to do? What does the Word of God tell you to believe? How does the Word of God tell you to act? When the Word of God says, do not be afraid, but I found a situation that I should be afraid in, what am I doing? Situational ethics. I'm in this situation. Well, I didn't know, God didn't know I was going to be in this situation. God didn't know that this was going to come. I didn't know that this was going to come. Oh, I'm afraid. Oh, I have reason to not trust. You know, we, we talked about tithing uh, a few weeks ago. We were in the sin of Achan. How many people have ever remember making a commitment to tithe? And as soon as you made the commitment to tithe, what came up? <laughs> we all laugh at it, don't we? Because we all know. Bills came up. Situations came up. Things were coming up and then we, we were making a decision. Well, should I do it? Well, if I don't do it, I'll be able to. But what happened with the sin of Achan? When he took on that little bit of stuff, he went, the whole camp of Israel was not able to stand against a small enemy. What happens very often is that people are, have decided, well, you know, I can't tithe because I don't make enough money yet. I told you this story a long time ago, but remember there was a man who, who came in and he was a tither. And, you know, he was a tither when he was making $10,000 a year and God grew him and blessed him. And he was still a tither when he was making $100,000 a year. And he went on and pretty soon he was making $500,000 a year and he still tithed on that. And he got to a place where he was making a million dollars a year, still tithing to the church, giving on that. But when he started writing these checks that were so big, he started bothering them. So he came to the pastor and he said, Pastor, I'm just having a hard time with this. I mean, my tithe on this now is $100,000. That's a lot of money. So can you talk to God or you know, tell me something that <laughs> I can get off of this? And so he said, absolutely, come on over here. And he said, they got on down there and they got down on their knees and he began to pray. He says, Father God, I want you to just uh, take this guy back to where he was only earning $500,000 a year. And the man stopped him and said, what are you doing? <laughs> he said, well, we're going to help you out with this. Since it's hard for you to tithe on a million dollars a year, we'll take you back to the $500,000 level because it was easier for you to tithe then. <laughs> Got the idea. But you see, we, we, we find ways to rationalize it. We look at ways that we become unstable. Well, I'll tithe this week, but I'm not sure about next week. And then we, we take on, because you're stealing from God. And then we're not standing up against the bills that come our way. How many of y'all know we made that commitment and we started tithing and, and things came our way? We all have testimonies. We've all had those times. <laughs> it was tough. It was hard. But we plowed on through. And then pretty soon we found out that 90% was going farther than the 100% was. And a lot of things that were breaking down and taking away our income because we were tapping into the things of God and not using what we, not give it to Him the way we we're supposed to. Suddenly, you know, furnaces were breaking and cars were breaking down and stuff was going leaking on the house and all kinds of stuff we had to fix and that was just eating up all kinds of money. Well, the Word of God says, you know, if we steal from God, if we don't do the honor of the things of God, that the canker worm can come in and he can, he can uh, destroy and, and set in. And so now we're not getting the benefit of tithing and we're having the problem because the enemy is able to get in. But became, we became unstable. We relied on other things beside what the Word of God says. When the Word of God says, this is how you do it, then guess what? 
That's how we do it. And as long as we try and come up with another way, it's not going to work. We do that in the area, some people do that in the area of forgiveness. They rely on human reasoning. Well, if I were God, I would forgive me if I did this. <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll just promise God I won't do it anymore and I'll repent for half a day and maybe wear some ashes and sackcloth and <laughs> go around with my head down and he'll see my mourning and know that I'm serious. Instability. It's coming against Israel. Number four, the king of Lachish. Japhia means splendid, dazzling to the eyes. Just sounded like a better name, didn't it? <laughs> Japhia. This is the lust of the eyes, the lure of the world. This is those things that are sparkling, that are gleaming. And we say, oh, I need to have that because it sparkles. Look at that. You know, you're a, if you're single and you find someone of the opposite sex who is Splendid. <laughs> Dazzling to the eyes. <laughs> and we suddenly, oh, I need that in my life. Mm. Maybe it's just the things that money can buy. And we see if I make certain compromises to the principles that God has given me that I'll have some of those things. Maybe it's the lure of the world. Maybe it's the, you know, it, it just seems like so many people who are upstanding on the things of God and we elect them into office and they go to Washington and they become corrupted simply because in the atmosphere of Washington people dazzle you with the parties you can go to with the committees we'll get you involved with if you just do this. And there have been some people who have stood up against it and said, I am not interested in that. I will not be bribed. And it's not just congressmen and senators and, and things like that. Certainly they're susceptible and some have been brought over it. Sometimes even the justices on the Supreme Court have been pulled over. And I know one in particular who was a, who started out very much uh, hold, holding up the things of God but got corrupted because of all the invitations and things that were out there. And Well, if you just compromise this, well, if you just let this go, and then these will, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. It's one of the reasons I spoke so highly of Clarence Thomas because I know that he has been having this dangled in front of him and he continually says, no. He will not be given, he won't be corrupted that way. Sp splendid individual. I really like the way that he's, he's because it's a hard thing. You're in that atmosphere all the time. That's a, that's a tough place to be at all the time. The lust of the eyes, the lure of the world. All these, if you just buy into this way of thinking, if you just change, if you stop being so godly, if you stop being so absolute that Jesus is the only way, if you give in and, and do this, if you just cheat a little bit, everybody cheats. If you just cheat a little bit, you can have this. If you just lie for me, if you just cover this up, and we're given these things just to get in, just to, have a way. Just corrupt it a little bit because it's splendid. Dazzling to the eye. Satan tries to distract you away from where you should be. He tries to distract you away from where you should be. Oh, I tell you what, sometimes we ought to have as much sense of a, as a dog. Sometimes we don't, though. 
And, you know, because a dog can be trained to not be distracted by things. If you have one of those seeing-eye dogs, they are trained to not be, not be distracted by other dogs that are wandering on by. To not be distracted by other things. They have a job to get this person from this place to this place. And they won't be focused on other people. They won't focus, they, they've been trained to just, nope, going this way. This is what I'm doing. This is where I go. I didn't have all the things, you know, I didn't train my dog to do all that sort of stuff. But when I was in high school, I had a dog and I spent a lot of time training her and uh, to do the things that I wanted. And one of the things that I, I told you before about it, one of the things I wanted was I did not want her to leave the yard, no matter what the distraction. And so we trained her for that and did all the things. I read the books and found out what things I should do, what things I shouldn't do. One of the things they told me to do was do not walk the dog for six months of its life by putting it on a leash and walking it out of the yard. Up until six months, that dog cannot tell the difference between being on a leash and going over the, do- the yard boundary and not being on a leash. So for six months, every time we left the yard to go anywhere and we'd always go down to the park, I picked that dog up. I carried that dog for two, three blocks until we were far enough away from the house and then I put the dog down and we would go. I did that every time we went out of the yard. I did not veer off of it one time. Every single time, picked that dog up Carried that dog on, a, on out, dropped it on down about two, three, and we walked the rest of the way. I had, there was a bunch of other things we had to do to train that dog, to get that dog to do it. And when we got done, the postman, well, we did, we did some other things too. I would, I would deliberately put distractions in front of the dog and have the dog, and the dog would chase after it and get to the end of the property, and I'd be right there. And it would learn, I cannot go after that distraction. You just stop right here. And so we got it. She was so good at it. The postman could come by and she would come after it like a dog does to a postman. Barking and just ready. But would stop at the edge of the yard. Now it was only allowed in the backyard. We had the side yard and the front yard. And it wasn't allowed in those yards. Only in the backyard. Well the postman could come up the front yard, go to the mailbox, drop the stuff off and get him back to his car and never come near the dog. But the dog would come right up to the, to the edge where he was allowed to and stop. And he wouldn't go beyond it. I got the dog so, so trained on this, we could go down to the park. And I, would, I took my dog off the leash when we were in the park. They didn't have laws about anything else. I would set that dog down. The dog, as soon as I stopped, that dog would sit. I would take that leash off. But that did not mean that dog was free. That dog was not free until I commanded that dog to be free. That dog would sit there. And I would sometimes walk 10 paces ahead, 20 paces ahead. I sometimes walk half the length of the park. And that dog would sit there. And its eyes would be on me the whole time, waiting, waiting, waiting. And finally I'd say, okay. And <laughs> it'd just take off like a shot. But if it ever moved, if it moved, uh, if it just moved a little bit, I don't mean got up and ran off. I mean, if it just, we went right on back. We started the whole thing all over again. And that dog knew, I am not free to run around this park until I do this right. And we'd stop again. The dog would sit, take it off the leash. I would walk on. And I did, it didn't matter if I had to do this 10, 20 times. We eventually got it down. We had to do it any more than the one. And as soon as I would let that dog go, the dog was ready. It's ready. Just, you could tell its face. It's, it's just ready, but it's not moving. Not moving at all. And I'd say, all right, and shoot right off. Had that dog trained that there was no distraction. There was nothing at the park but the, the creek and the smells in me. 
if another dog came up, that dog would not chase after it. The dog would look to me, and if I say, come on, it would come over to me, leave that other dog, would never go near it. If I told the dog, it's all right, go ahead, it would go over and check out the other dog. It would wait until I commanded it, which one it could do. It had it done at one time where it, it, uh, tri- it found a rabbit, and it ra- chased after the rabbit. I didn't train it up to chase after rabbits, but <laughs> it chased after the rabbit, and it caught it, a little baby rabbit. Got separated the baby from the mom, and it caught it. And it just it was surprised, I guess, that it caught it. It had his nose right there. And so I called the called, come on over here. The dog came on over to me, and the rabbit went off. It went somebody else. But this, but this opened this dog up because this dog was so trustworthy. One of our favorite places to go was a place that most people in the park could not get to. It was not reachable. So what we would do is we would take the dog, and I would stay. It'd be on one side of the, of the turnpike bridge. And so I couldn't take the dog across it because it turned, we'll go turnpike interchange. And so I would go up and I would cross over the, the interchange. And it was a wide area. It was not where the divider was though. <laughs> but it was, a, <laughs> it was a wide area. <laughs> and I would go across myself. And it might take me a little while to get through all the traffic. And I would get over to the other, I would get down the other side because underneath the bridge it was all water. And uh, I didn't want to wait on through and get wet. So I would get on the other side. And when I got down the other side, I would look over and my dog was sitting in the exact same spot that I put it. And I would look over there. And when she saw me, she still didn't move. She waited. She's waiting for the command. And I'd say, okay, come on. And she would take off and we would be free in a section of the park that no one really got back into and did anything with. Oh, and me, my buddy, his dog was trained like mine was, and we could sit them both there. You both sit there and you wait. And we would both go over and we'd get on the other side. Now we have two dogs and two boys <laughs> on the other side. Oh, man, we were in heaven. We just played and we just went on stuff and went through things. And mom never knew about most of the stuff that we did out there, but <laughs> we survived and, and we had a good time. But you see, it's, you had to train it to, to be no distraction. Nothing could do that. This dog got so good, we could put that dog outside in the yard go to the store, come back in an hour, hour and a half, two hours, and the dog would still be in the backyard. But there was a flaw. I think I told you this before. There was a one flaw, and that's when it snowed. <laughs> if it snowed, it, it figured out, if I can't see the boundary, I am free. <laughs> she, she was off. Never did overcome that one. Did not overcome that one, but we overcame all the other ones, and she was a, a good dog. But can't we get to be as good as a dog? And not be, be moved about by all these distractions, all these things. Oh, look at the shiny thing over here. Oh, my flesh wants to have this. Oh, I, but I really want to have that. And we let go of the things that we're supposed to do. We're not, we're not doing what God wants to do. But, but Satan knows, if I can distract you, if I can pull you off, God can't trust you. And if God can't trust you, he can't lead you into certain situations. Moses got into the position he was. Daniel got into the position he was. Elijah got into the position he was. Elisha got into the position he was. David got into the position he was. Joshua got into the position he was. And the list goes on and on and on because God found out, I can trust them. I can give them something and I can trust them. They will not get distracted. And it starts off with the little things. But the devil knows if I can keep you bound up by always chasing after the glamour things, always chasing after the things that sparkle, the things that shine, you'll never 
go on to what God has for you in your life because you're not getting past this, this early part. If my, if my dog never got past the early part, I never could have the freedom. That dog never had the, would have never had the freedom that it had otherwise. We didn't go to the places, and I'll tell you what, if you ask my parents about this, they will tell you, the park was the absolute most favorite place in the entire world for my dog. We used to tease this dog on the thing because there, she knew if I pulled out the chain to walk the dog, it meant we are going to the park because every time I pulled out the chain to go for a walk, we always. So all you had to do, we just we had fun with this. The dog's over there minding his own business, sleeping or something like that. We would go over to the cellarway steps where the chain was and we would just tap it just a little bit, just a tap. And as soon as you made that little tap, the dog, no matter what, sleeping, didn't matter what. I heard it. I heard it. I heard it. I know I heard it. And he'll see me over by the step, but he's, did I really hear it? Is he really getting it? And you can see it's, it's wheels are moving about this. And if you, if you tap it again, oh, I know I heard it that time. And it just starts jumping up and down and it's excited and it's barking and it's excited. Oh, can we go? Let's go now. Let's go now. You can just say, <laughs> jumping up and down, jumping up and down. It's as excited as could be because it means we're going park and she never got tired of going to that park we went to it every single day went to the park that was my prayer time that was her exercise time <laughs> i could walk and pray and the dog could go out and check out all kinds of stuff and we both did our own thing and when we both got done we came on home <laughs> but that freedom would not have been available unless she had done that unless she had learned early on we've got to learn early on don't be distracted by such things when God says, don't eat of the tree, don't eat of the tree. When God says, don't worship other idols, don't worship other idols. When God says, don't go after men and women like that, don't go after men and women like that. Listen to him. Do what he says. Here we got one more. The king of Eglon. His name is Debir, which means oracle. This is a direct satanic attack. If he cannot get to you through these other more subtle ways, he comes directly after you. When all else fails, he will come right after you. When all else fails. If he can't get you to all these other more subtle ways, then he comes after you with a full front attack. Everything coming out. We're not trying to disguise this. We're not trying to hide this. This is the devil. And he's coming after Paul. How many times did he face this? Elijah. How many times did he face this? Elisha. How many times did he face this? How about Samuel? Direct attack. We're coming to get you. We are coming to take you out. Elijah got the attention of the king and the queen. We're coming to get you. We're, we're going to take you out. Direct. At the, nothing subtle. You're not, wondering, you're not being pulled into anything. He says, I'm coming to get you. I'm going to take you down. Direct attack. And sometimes we've made it through all the other ones. But, and this one gets us nervous. But what is the word of God that came to Joshua that helps us out with this? <laughs> Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be of good courage. For I will be with you. No man shall be able to stand against you. Oh, all these words that came to Joshua. They, they are there to help you out. Because God knows if you make it through all these other ones, then the devil's just going to say, well, all right, we're just going to come get you. 
You are now on our radar and we are coming to get you. Understand this. Most Christians never get to this spot because the other ones pull them off. <laughs> Behind the road, you have to mess with this. Well, you just pull them off the other way. You don't have to even mess with We don't need a full war against you. We can just distract you. There's just a little shiny thing out there. There you go. Get some public opinion. Well, you know, most people don't do it that way. Hmm. Well, maybe I shouldn't be doing it that way. And the men of Gibeon, verse 6, sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. This is a full, direct attack. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them. For I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So they marched all night. Now they're going to fight. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. What a, what a, when the devil comes against us, he wants to get us in fear. All right, all the other subtle things, they haven't worked. So we're going to come against you and we're going to pull you off and do it. We're going to get you to be afraid. And God says, don't fear them. Don't fear them. But you see, then we get into a comparison thing. Well, I look at who's on my side and I look at who's on their side and they got more people on their side. You know, even if all of us killed three or four of them, we're not going to get them all. We could, we could uh, begin to think that. How many times have we seen battles in the Word of God where if they all killed three or four or five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten each, they still wouldn't have taken, taken them all down. And yet God still came through. Yes. Verse 11, And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. <laughs> So God says, look, you know, just go after them. You get as many as you can. I'll take care of the rest of them. <laughs> I'm just going to start throwing stuff at them. You know? <laughs> you know, when God starts throwing hailstones at you, these are supernatural hailstones. That means they are smart hailstones. You know, like smart bombs that they zero in on their target, come right at that target. We're not just throwing them in the air and hoping something hits. No, we're right at it. God says, all right, see that one right there? And the, yeah, that one. <laughs> He's, he's nailing each one. He's giving all the angels. Look, every one of the angels, y'all take a, y'all take a hellstone. You ready? You get this one. You get this one. You get this one. You get this one. There you go. They probably all had iPads, and he said, "All right, we're going to type it all out there. Give them all, guy. This is the one you're." Oh, Aaron. <laughs> Zeroed it right in there. Nailed them on. And the angels or, or the hailstones, they nailed more of them than all the children of Israel did. It was a great multitude. Now, can you imagine if you are the people of the land and you found out, all right, five kings just went after them and not only did the children of Israel beat them, but then God starts throwing hailstones at them. <laughs> big ones. Ones that are big enough to kill a man of war who's in armor. We're not just talking about people just walking around without stuff. We're talking about guys with shields and helmets and breastplates. And, and God says, sends hailstones that are big enough to penetrate their armor and kill them. Now, here's the neat part. The hailstones killed them, but not the children of Israel. That's a pretty localized storm because God knows what He's doing. Because He says to them, do not be afraid or dismayed. Don't, don't let that get, get you off. Understand the enemy is going to come after you. 
But no matter which way he decides to come after you, I've told you how they come. Put in your outline, too often we are found counting ourselves against our enemies instead of our enemies against God. Don't count your, your enemies against yourself. Count your enemies against your God. Too often we are found counting ourselves against our enemies instead of our enemies against God. Stop comparing you to the enemies and compare the enemies to your, your God. God. Amen. <laughs> when the children of Israel did not go into the promised land the first time, they compared their enemies to themselves and they talked themselves out of it. When David went up against Goliath, he compared his enemy to his God. And David was not in the equation. When, Dan when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, he did not compare himself to the lions. He compared the lions to his God. When the three were thrown into the fiery furnace, they did not compare themselves to the fiery furnace. They compared the fiery furnace to their God. When Samuel had the entire army surround his city, he did not compare himself or the forces that were with him in Debir to the forces that were outside. He compared the forces that were against him with his God. And he says to the, his servant, there are more that are for us than are against us. When Elijah was up on the mountain and he had all those prophets of Baal and all those prophets of Ashtoreth and all the multitudes of Israel and the king and the queen, he did not compare himself to the multitudes that were against him. He compared the multitude against his God. And he said to the people, how long will you vacillate between two opinions? If God's God, serve him. If Baal's God, serve him. Let's decide it now. We come back and we compare it to God. Too often we are brought into the other type of a comparison. We're taking our funds and comparing it to our bills. And how often do we come up short? Well, God, I can't tithe because, because whatever's going on. And we mess up. And we hang on to what we shouldn't do. And we commit the sin of Achan, taking on the cursed things. And we can't figure out why we can't stand against up, up against little things like AI and our bills. We're not giving God a chance. Well, you don't know my situation. No, I don't. But I know my God. Stop comparing your situation to your, uh, to your ability. And compare your situation to your God. We are in the battle. We want to hold God to His Word. How many of you of us want to do that. We're in the battle. We want, to, we, want to do, we want to compare God to His Word. God, you said. God, you said. Get in the battle. God, you said. But before the battle, we abandon our own. We abandon our own Word. What is the Word that we have? How many times have we said, I will do this. I will do this. We learn something from the Word of God. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to operate this way. And we abandon it before the battle. We even get started. But yet for God, we want Him to hold to His. Stop holding God to a higher standard. Well, he's God. Yeah. But you should be holding yourself to that same standard. Father God, as I expect you to uphold your word, I'm going to uphold mine. I'm going to do as I said that I should do. As I've learned that I should do. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to move out that way because that's what I'm supposed to do. Five different ways the enemy comes against you. Which way has he used that has pulled you in? Which way has he used? that has pulled you in? Has it been public opinion? Has it been those shiny things? Has it been the angel of light? Has it been the instability? 
Or have you graduated to the place of being a direct attack to tear you down? I'm not even hiding this. This is from me, and I'm coming to get you. Which one has it been? It does not matter what the battle is. Our God is stronger. Our God is able to win, to be victorious. If you were Joshua, still a young leader, you're still just taking over this group of people. Got a lot of reasons to be afraid. Got a lot of reasons to say, you know what? This is five kings all at one time. And these are big cities. These are big kings. They have big armies. I don't know. Got a lot of reasons that you can talk yourself into not doing what you should do. But God wants us to do the thing that He said to do. Let's stand up against God. Don't let Him come in and sell you on something that's being light that's not. Don't let them come in and say, well, everybody else is doing it this way. This is what the multitude is saying. Don't give in to that. Don't become unstable and be shaken off of what the Word of God says. If the Word of God says it, stay with it. Hold to it. Don't let those shiny things begin to pull you off. Don't let those direct attacks surprise you, scare you into backing down. You are part of of the army of God. You are part of the army of God. And you have all heaven behind you. And if He needs to, He will send hailstones directly flung at the people who come against you. And He will help you out. Glory to God. Father, we thank You for the good things that are in Your Word. We thank you, Father, for the power of God that is behind us. We are not in this battle on our own. We are in it with you. And you even go to the length that if you have to tie the mouth of lions shut, if you have to go against the nature of fire, if you have to call down fire from heaven, if you have to open up the earth and swallow up people that stand against us, or fling hailstones, or just send the angel of the Lord out, just start to slay the enemy. Whatever it is that it takes, you're willing to do it. And as we go into the story, we find out you're, you're able to do all kinds of things to cause us to be victorious. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. Glory be to your name. Help us, Father, to remember what the Word of God says. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Thank you for it, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Before we go tonight, we want um, Tony wanted to have prayer for our uh, back. Come on up. We'll lay hands on you.